fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. Oh, did you know you were listening to the 30-something movie podcast? Somebody told me that's what was going to happen today. You're not only... Are you? But wait, there's more. Not only are you listening to the 30-something movie podcast, you're on. I knew there was something different about today. You're not just a listener. You're also a client. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Best that we don't interrogate that too deeply. No. Uh-uh. Uh, speaking of interrogating, uh, it's homicide. Who doesn't love a little homicide? Right. Mm-hmm. A little homicide now and then. I don't know how to finish that. Is not for the police. I, I, I can no. tell you that. That's... No, it's and Sting and the police would have sung it better. But well, I think that's a given. Yes. Well, everybody, it is the thirty-something movie podcast. Uh, we are here for the uh, David Mamet classic. I don't know if you, do you want to call this one a classic. Well, it may you know. Okay, I mean, it, it is so... classic Mamet, but I don't know. It makes the Criterion Collection, so yeah. therefore. But I don't feel like when people are thinking of his movies, I'm not sure that this would be at the like near the top of their list. I don't know. I would agree with that. I didn't really realize it was a mammoth until it popped up on my screen. Yeah. But then once the dialogue started, you figured it out pretty quick. Yeah, then it's pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, makes the Criterion Collection. Right. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, you know, I, I, I would be curious... I don't know if we've ever have we ever gone and looked to see like how something have we have you ever read about how I have they not. determine I I just know that by being in the Criterion Collection it means somebody somewhere it's decided it's important and needs to be preserved and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm sure there's a website somewhere that's called like the Criteria Collection Criterion Collection Criteria. Oh, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee that was designed by smarter people than I. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here I'm actually going to read directly from the Criterion uh, website, Criterion.com. Cool. I, just, I, I pulled it up. I was just curious since we started talking about it. Um, so one of the FAQs is how do you decide which films receive the Criterion treatment? And their response is, we aim to reflect the breadth of filmed expression. We try not to be restrictive or snobby about what kinds of films are appropriate. An auteur classic, a Hollywood blockbuster, an independent B-horror film all have to be taken on their own terms. All we ask is that each film in the collection be an exemplary film of its kind. Of course, we can't just pick movies and put them out. The process of getting the rights to release a film can take years. Even if we want a film, we can't work on it unless the film's owners grant us the rights to do so. So it sounds like that boils down to 
All we ask is that each film in the collection be an exemplary film of its own kind. I, I don't know what that means. I was just about to say, I don't know what that means. <laughs> of its own kind. So we're not just ca- talking comedy versus drama here, I don't think. No, I've never seen another movie quite like Leonard Part 6. It's very true. But I don't think that's Criterion Collection. I can't say exactly. I've, I can't say I've seen another movie that's quite like Cool as Ice, but that's not Criterion Collection. Agreed. So I just know that Criterion Collection is supposed to be movies that are good, and or or classics or heavily featured on a shelf at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> there you go. So that's that's go. all I know about. I'm, I'm and I'm not ripping on Criterion. I'm just. That's no, I, I look at it as a somebody somewhere decided that this was worth preserving or highlighting in some way. And so there you go. I was curious. I was looking back on my shelf to see if I have any DVDs or Blu-rays that are Criterion Collection. I have one. I have seven samurai. Ah, I think yes. that might be all I have, but yeah. So, so yeah. So we're not a hundred percent quite sure what causes something to make it to the Criterion Collection, um, and it sounds like maybe neither are they. But that's okay. We're still going to talk about this one. Um, so yeah, tonight is uh, tonight is Homicide from nineteen ninety one, David Mamet film with Joe Mantegna and William H Macy and Ving Rhames. Um, many many great people in this movie. Before we do that, we do want to let you know that we are members of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network. Scene Stealers has a top-class roster of um, movie and TV stars ready to be booked for your convention, your comic event, signings, things like that. So reach out to them, www.scenestealersglobal.com. And then after you've done that, you can head over to our website, 30podcast.com, where you can rate our show, leave a voicemail, and uh, you can become a co-executive producer via Patreon. Now, since this is, uh, we're, we're coming up here on the end of the year, and uh, I know end of the year, you know, sometimes people like to uh, people like to do a lot of charitable donations at the end of the year, and of course, Patreon could be a very charitable way of donating back to the podcast if you've been enjoying it. Um, I, I would say, let me preface that by saying, please give it to an actual charity. Like if you're gonna do that, you know, give give to an actual charity. Um, if it was a matter of, you know, should I give a little bit to the guys in the podcast, or should I give, you know, to the Sarah McLaughlin sad dog video? Um, you know, please give to the sad dog video. But if you got like an extra, indeed, buck, if you got like an extra buck left over a month or something like that, and you want to get some extra content and you want to be a part of helping out the show, feel free to head on over to thirtypodcast.com/slash/donate. Um, and then that'll show you where you can go to connect up with our Patreon stuff. So, but, uh, you give to the sad dogs first. Indeed. I was almost going to start trying to sing the song from the video, but dude, (sighs) dude. Yeah. No, I'm not going to. All I can say is that whenever that commercial comes on, even though it's a different song. Yeah. I have flashbacks to senior prom. (laughs) Yeah. That's all I'm why, saying. Why, why do you, okay, I have to ask now. 
why do you have flashbacks to senior prom? Because if I remember correctly, and I have the mug upstairs to prove this, the other Sarah McLaughlin song that sounds exactly like that song yeah. uh -huh. was the senior prom song. So for uh -huh. some reason in my head, they're like intertwined. Gotcha. And it just, it does these weird things to my brain. So when you think of senior prom, you think of sad one-eyed dogs. Actually, the other way around, but yes. Oh. <laughs> All right. When you, when you think of sad one-eyed dogs, you think of senior prom. It's that song, man. I got to tell you, music, and this is one of those, you know, delete this if this podcast goes long moments. Yeah. Pat's not here to say it, but I will. It's all right. Music does that to me. Like, I will hear a song, and it can just stop my brain, whatever it's doing, and lock it into a mode that makes no sense. And it's, it's a complete non sequitur. It has nothing to do with anything that's happening. Yeah. But that song reminded me of this song, which reminded me of this thing, and boom, gone. Yeah. Oh, that happens. that happens to me, too. It's just so weird, because that song, and it's her other song, and they sound very similar, and I I apologize to Sarah McLaughlin if she's listening to this while she's, you know, getting a mani-pedi or whatever. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't remember her songs off the top of my head, except to know that these two sound a lot alike. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that was what were we doing the other day? I'm I'm gonna see if I can if I can pull this up really fast. Um, the other day we were oh I had to take the kids to uh, I think John had an orchestra concert, and I was taking them there, and putting some music on in the car, and and uh, it wasn't quite time to go in yet, and and Nora was with me in the car, and so a lot of times Nora and I really like to take songs and mess with the lyrics. And, ah. and we we like to weird owl things a little bit. Well, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, and so we were playing. Is it this song from Enya? Yeah, so we were playing this song from Enya, and it's uh, is it Amarantine? Is that how she sings it? So it gets it gets to the chorus, and the chorus is like repeating the word Amarantine, Amarantine. And uh, I think I shifted it to something like, am I on time? Am I on time? And then it was a whole song about being late and, you know, <laughs> driving a car down the sidewalk, you know, crashing into people because you're running late. And Nice. Yeah. I like it. And now when I listen to it, I can't hear anything other than am I on time? Isn't it the weirdest thing? Like you get yeah. locked in like a mental loop of mm -hmm. some kind and... Mm -hmm. Ugh. Okay, last tangent before we actually get into talking about um, uh, yeah, homicide. Sure, last um, tangent, right. Did okay. You, yeah. Did you ever listen to, to uh, Seal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The man has an amazing voice. Yeah, it's, he does. I love, I love it's Seal. ridiculous. Yeah, especially his first few albums. You know, those yeah. are my absolute favorites. Um, the one that has like uh, Crazy and, um, you know, I, actually his first album is probably my favorite of all of them. Yeah. And... Um, do you so, guys watch The Masked Singer? No. He did that recent within maybe two seasons ago now. Oh, nice. I was about to try to say recently, but yeah. COVID has messed with my complete understanding of time. Oh, I, so I told I'm somebody earlier say today. He did a season of The Masked Singer, and he okay. was amazing. That's what I'm going to say. That's, I told somebody earlier today that I feel like pandemic years are like dog years. Mm. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. then I'll tell people, I was like, yeah, no, we worked on that back in March, which was like six years ago. Yeah. 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 
Um, it's hard. But anything, so the, the fun thing about for those Seal, of though, you that are listening yeah. to this podcast ten years from now, because hopefully, you know, people have gone back and found our old catalog. Oh, they will. Look up the COVID nineteen pandemic of the early twenty twenties. All you need to know. Yeah. <laughs> and if if the world has collapsed and you're listening to this on zip disks, um, then yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. I'm I'm picturing like you know, Mission Impossible face off kind of stuff going on here. Yeah. How big are our audio files when you're done with them? Like, how many could you get on a zip disk? On a zip you disk. Know. Um. What was a zip? Was it? Uh, there were two fifty meg like at one point. Megs? Yeah, we could fit. We could fit maybe a couple of episodes. Yeah, a it's couple. kind of amazing when you think about that. Or one long-winded one. Well, yeah. <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's put it this way: we could fit. We could fit two regular episodes on, and if Dennis is on, one. Fair. There you go. And if Dennis, Pat, and Jeff are on, we oh. might have to do two mm-hmm. zip discs yeah we're gonna have to because when we all get together man it goes you know, it's that was our that was the uh what was it it's a wonderful life was probably what yeah. three hours yeah yeah that was a long one was, but i knew yeah. you knew just doing that movie that it was gonna be long oh yeah like yeah I the mean, movie itself is long i mean yeah yeah so um but the thing the thing about seal the reason i mentioned that one is because i went for years talking about songs where like the words change for you um seal i remember actually made a point of not putting any liner notes in his albums because um i remember hearing him on an interview one time when we lived over in england and he was on some morning show or or on a news show and he's like no i I don't put liner notes in because whatever you hear that's what i want the lyrics to be for you and i'm like okay sure that's like a real fun artsy thing to say but i want to know what the words are buddy Um, well yeah because let's be honest sometimes you hear the word and you're like what you thought you heard right you're like um no yeah. that's not what he said so so we have if a, it is we got problems right so we have we have apple music now we've had it for a little while and i was playing some music isn't that great yeah i was playing some music I, a few weeks ago i resisted on the, TV. the whole streaming music thing oh yeah for a long time yeah i was like oh my god another subscription another this another that do I really have the data to be streaming my music? Like I just, I yeah. resisted longer than I should have. Love Apple Music. Oh yeah. I so we were playing some don't stuff. Don't know what my problem was. We were playing some stuff on the TV a little while ago, and I was playing a, a Seal song, and with some of the songs, you can have the lyrics just pop up right on the TV screen, mm-hmm. and, and suddenly there are the lyrics to Seal's songs, and I was like, "That's what that song's about." <laughs> I had no idea that's what that song was about. Well, don't you worry when an artist says, I want you to hear what you thought you heard. Like, why? What are you trying to hide, son? Right. <laughs> right. Are you, you trying to... some stuff I shouldn't be singing? <laughs> are you trying to tell me the walrus is alive again? What are you, what are you trying to say? Uh, okay. Right. So, okay. One more tangent. One more. Uh, this will also date us in time. The release of the Peter Jackson Beatles documentary yeah. is, is nigh, yeah, I believe. It's already out. Oh, is it? Oh. Yeah. I'm behind. You are behind. <laughs> yeah, it's on Disney+. Plus. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I, yeah, I, that's my uh, I, that's my Christmas break. Uh, oh, oh, we got nothing to watch, huh? Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> Click. Now, now <laughs> I you saw do. Uh, Peter Jackson interviewed on Colbert. Mm-hmm. This last week, a couple, they split the interview up over two days. Dude, this is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. I am more than excited. 
I was trying to jump real quick and see if I could see how long the episodes are because I feel like I looked at it at one point and it was something like did I did I see that the episodes were like three hours or something yeah, crazy? Well, they started with fifty-seven hours of footage. Yeah. Okay, so Which right is now, just mind blowing. Yes. So right now, and I don't know if there's going to be more. I don't remember. Um, but the yeah, season one it says um, is oh, it says it's a three part documentary series. So this is that's it then. Um, it says that episode one is 157 minutes, episode two is 174 minutes, and episode three is 139 minutes. Nice. So you've got uh, you got some viewing to do. Heck yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I am a quiet Beatles fan. Like I don't really listen to a lot of their music. Like yeah. I don't choose it. Yeah. Seek it out. But when it's on, I love it. Oh yeah. Um. So I'm very excited about this. Yeah. And it sounds really cool because they were talking about you know I don't want to give away anything but he said this in his interview so I don't think it's crazy like it sheds a whole new light on some of the things that we think we know about the Beatles. Yeah. A lot of the breakup stuff and a lot of what was happening. And there's some, you know, there was a, there's a conversation, I guess at one point where George is, George is talking to, um, I think he's talking to John. And I guess he says, I I've written all these songs and you know, my quote is like two songs, an album. So it's going to take me, 20 years to re- 10 years to release all this music. I'm thinking I'll do something on my own, but we should still. And Paul had never heard that conversation. He wasn't in the room. Oh. And Paul's like, God, if we'd all thought that way and if I'd heard that, you know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so different. Yeah. You know, and you see it now more, you see people branch off and do solo projects, but they still have the band. I mean, right. You know, I, uh, did a solo album, I think, or two, but he still plays with Dave Matthews band. I think he'll still do a solo album in the future, but that creative freedom, I don't know much about music back then, except for the Beatles. Um, yeah. Freedom just wasn't, wasn't there, whether it's a, <laughs> whether it was a, um, a function of their contracts or, or just attitudes, just very interesting. Yeah. But yeah, I'm psyched for that. Yeah. Yeah. I want to watch it with Nora cause she's a, I, I'm a big Beatles fan and, and she's really been enjoying the Beatles too. She's, you know, she'll play, I've got her a couple of different Beatles CDs over the, over the last few years or so. And um, so she enjoys those too. So I think we'll try to watch those together at some point. We're probably Super the two cool. biggest, uh, now that my dad's not around anymore, she and I are probably the two biggest Beatle fans in the family, so. Yeah, Donna's not a big fan. Yeah. She's got, I mean, you know, there's the there's the highlights, there's, oh yeah, yeah. you know, Hey Jude, Let It Be, that sort of stuff, but yeah. but yeah, she's not a huge, this, this is the kind of stuff she digs, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. It's that crossover between music and reality television, in air quotes, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we should probably get into homicide. I mean, we should. We're here to talk about a movie. That's movie. If if a bit confusing, and you know, that's what we're here for. Yeah, there, there's you, it. Um, if you haven't watched the movie yet, and this is where John's going to put in his whole thing about spoilers and whatnot, and he's got that rehearsal. I'll let him do it. But here's what my go into this movie knowing you need your brain. Mm-hmm. This is not a passive watching experience. No. 
I think is the is what I would say. All right, so here's my spiel. Spoilers. All right, there we go. Um, Sweet. Trying to simplify things. Um, yes, so our movie this time around is Homicide. This one came out on the 6th of October, 1991, rated R with a runtime of one hour, 42 minutes, directed by David Mamet, who also did The Spanish Prisoner and State and Maine. Producers were Michael Hausman and Edward R. Pressman. Hausman did Amadeus and The Firm. Pressman did The Crow and American Psycho. Writer for this one was David Mamet, who also did Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and Wag the Dog. Cinematography by Roger Deakins, who did Blade Runner 2049, 20, I'm sorry, 1917, and Skyfall. Editor was Barbara Tulliver, who did Signs and Spartan. And music was done by Alaric Johns, who did uh, Things Change and The Winslow Boy. Budget was 11 million. Box office was 3 million. Flick Metrics gives it a 73%. Cinema score did not have a score for this one. Starring Joe Mantegna, who played Bobby Gold. He was in The Godfather Part 3 and Thinner. Um, see, I just need, I need Pat here to do his impersonation of Jeff talking about Robert De Niro. And instead of uh, instead of Bobby D, I need it to be like Bobby G. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. Every time we mention mention Bobby Gold tonight, maybe it's Bobby G. I like it. Uh, William H Macy plays Tim Sullivan. He was in Fargo and Boogie Nights. Uh, Vincent Guastafero played Lieutenant Senna. He was in Criminal Minds and NYPD Blue. J.J. Johnson is Jilly Coran. He was in Fatal Attraction and JFK. Jack Wallace, who died in 2020, played Frank. He was in Death Wish and Nixon. Ving Rhames played Randolph. He was in Pulp Fiction and the Mission Impossible movies. Rebecca Pigeon played Miss Klein. She was in State and Maine and Red. Natalia Nagulich played Chava. She was in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation and Hoffa. Ricky Jay, who died in 2018, played Aaron. He was in Boogie Nights and Tomorrow Never Dies. And Steven, er, Steven. let's try saying the word Steven. How did I get Steven? Well, I mean, I guess it kind of looks like Steven. <laughs> All right, whatever. Um, Steven Goldstein, maybe that's how he says it. I don't know. Um, played the librarian. He was in The Untouchables and The Night We Never Met. Um, that's his evil twin brother, is Steven Goldstein. Steven and Steven. That's his mirror universe uh, counterpart. Yeah. God, wouldn't you be a terrible parent? Okay, I'm going to say something right now that might get me in trouble if we have a listener that actually did this. Um, wouldn't you be a terrible parent if you had twins and you named them Steve, S-T-E-V-E-N, and you pronounced one Steven and you pronounced one Steven and they were spelled exactly the same? I'm not seen that because I haven't seen that exact version, but I've seen things disturbingly close to that. Okay. And I'm always trying to decide what were you thinking when you did that thing? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm not a parent, so, yeah. and and I don't play one on television. Yeah. So I can only guess. To, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't know that. I just feel like that would be kind of cruel. Yeah. To both society and your children. But if you did it and you're a listener to the show, God bless you. We love you. Yeah, maybe send us a quick note and uh, let us know. Let us know the. I'm curious. Let what us know the, the rationale. The because yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. What that does for you. Yeah, or I just I created an entire conundrum for parents going forward by mispronouncing the word Stephen. I now have probably have a listener who's like, well, I don't know, maybe we're gonna have twins, and maybe I should do what John said. And I, please, don't, just don't attribute it to me. It's not what I. That's not my legacy. That's not what I want to be known for. Right. I, I don't want to. I don't want to be known. 
I don't want to be known for like the is this dress black and gold or is it white and green or I I don't want to be known for that kind of stuff. So I want to be known because not only was I a terrorist and a madman, but I have a beautiful singing voice. Um, <laughs> after forcibly being reassigned from a federal investigation of notorious drug dealer Robert Randolph to a local case involving robbery and the murder of a Jewish shopkeeper, embittered detective Bobby G unexpectedly experiences a religious awakening. But when his newfound interest in his heritage comes into direct conflict with the law, Gold struggles to reconcile his spiritual loyalties with his dedication to the badge. Robert Gold is a detective. I need you to go out there, find this man, and bring him in alive. We tail him, we nail him, we That's turn him right. over, we shake him. Let's go get him. How come you always got to be the first one through the door? Our job is to bring him down alive. With a garbage man. You think I don't know that? Robert Gold is a Jew. I'm sorry, Bobby. I got a call downtown. The Jewish guys, they got this clout. You were there. You're his people. You're on the case. I'm his people? You hate yourself that much. You belong nowhere. He's about to be presented with some difficult choices. Would you like to know how to, to solve the problem of evil? No, man. Because if I did, then I'd be out of a job. I want to know about the old woman. Get up against the fence. Why are you here? I found a list. A list of Jewish names, men here in this city. I need the list. The list is evidence. You got some heavy troubles in your mind? It's just, I think it's some, some sort of conspiracy. The greatest strategist of all time. It was another name they had for Hitler. I don't get it. It's not your thing, it's my thing, okay? In the next 72 hours, he will betray his friends. Disgrace the force. How would you like to be suspended? You talk to my partner that way? Yeah, you know what this man has done in the line? Stand down. And commit an act of violence. I want to help you in your work. What I do, Mr. Gold, you don't want to know. Because he believes it is the only right thing to do. Joe Mantegna in David Mamet's Homicide. Okay, so I one of the things one of the things that I wanted to mention, just because you know you hear it in the trailer a little bit too, is what was so interesting to me was the some of the music you heard in the movie, especially when it gets to the later scenes where he's dealing with kind of that that crisis of identity and. You know, is he going to join up with the kind of the, the Jewish underground group and all that other stuff? Um, what was pretty interesting to me was the music sounded very much like, and I'm trying to picture if it was the scenes with Magneto, it sounded very much like some of the music from uh, the original X-Men movie. Oh, yeah. Interesting.
interesting. Kind of that da 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 da, mm-hmm. da 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 kind of what you heard in there. So yeah, I I did not really was not really able to um see if there was any kind of a connection between the two. Obviously it's not the same composer, but um yeah, I was just kind of curious and just it didn't really uh didn't really find too much of anything that confirmed what I was feeling. But yeah, sounded similar. The question we always ask at the beginning of each of our episodes is, how does this movie make you feel? So we already kind of, we started off a little bit saying that it maybe was a little confusing and you got to pay a little bit of attention with this movie, otherwise you might get a little lost. Um, but how did this movie make you feel? We'll, we'll couple our, our two questions together. First time you've seen it and how did it make you feel? Yes, it was the first time I'd seen it. Um, I hadn't really um, heard of it until I saw it on our list. Um, and it made me feel conflicted. Mm-hmm. If we're going to use the one word, uh, yeah. What was your, what was your, we'll go into this just a little bit. What was real quick? What, what conflicted you about it? Well, you want him to be a cop, but, I feel like the movie's trying to tell you that he's supposed to also, you know, be his, be his history, be um, what his people expect him to be. Um, he's sort of caught between two worlds. And I, I think the movie doesn't push you in any one way or another. So I can't, can't tell what it's trying to tell me. Yeah. Yeah. This was the first time I've seen this one. Um, how did it make me feel? I was a little, and I'm going to say this, but I'm, I'm also going to say I did enjoy the movie. Um, but I was definitely confused. I was confused. But I think, the more I've thought about it after having watched it, and I, I think this is one I probably would need to watch again um, to really get a better sense of it all, but I think that might have been intentional, like some of the confusion, because, I mean, it's it's a movie about an identity crisis, and, I mean, a huge part of an identity crisis is confusion and uncertainty and, you know, all the things that go along with that. So I, I wondered in the back of my mind as I felt like this movie was keeping me slightly off balance the entire time, because it, the reason I felt that was because you start the movie off and you're almost in like a traditional, um, you know, this is a, a tough talking cop movie. Um, you know, there's a lot of swearing. There's a lot of like racial slurs. There's a lot of, you know, it's, it's going to be a rough movie going forward. And then he and his partner, um, Sullivan are in the car together and they're doing like this, you know, kind of quick, snappy, um, what we've said, like David Mamet kind of dialogue, quick, snappy, repetitive dialogue. And it sounded like even their acting in those scenes was more wooden than it was in some of the other scenes. And it seemed a little bit more like a noir film. And Right. It was almost like it was a staged play. Yeah. At times. Yeah. And it, then, yeah. then, it, then at times not. So, and I'm wondering, right. I'm wondering I think if that was part of the purpose was to keep you on your toes and be like, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let you just sit comfortably in what kind of movie you think this is. 
Um, you know, because we're going to start off with a police investigation, then we're going to make it feel a little bit noirish, and then we're going to go into a a Jewish conspiracy theory murder mystery investigation with a identity crisis all wrapped up in whatever the middle of the movie was, um, and then end the movie with a shootout that also continues evolving the identity crisis. Yeah, and ended yeah. on a longing look between a cop and a criminal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, it was definitely confused. And there were several things in the movie that, well, you talk about that criminal at the end. Like, that was something it got mentioned so many times at the beginning of the movie. You know, you, you really helped me out. I'm going to repay you someday. I'm going to repay you someday. I'm going to show you evil or, uh, God, what yeah. was the word? I don't think it was one of the quotes that I... And then he turned into Kylo Ren. Yeah. He's like, I will show you the dark side. Right. Yeah. yeah. Bobby G, yeah. I feel like I'm being torn apart. <laughs> I know what I need to do. Will you help me? No, no, I, I, I won't. I've seen that. I've seen that show. Um, yeah, it, it, it that never paid off. Like, you, you what was he, how was he going to repay him? And by the movie, by the movie's end, he didn't repay him. And so right. there were several things like that. There were several strings that were kind of left dangling and you're just like those dangling participles get you every time. I know. <laughs> Tell me about it. Um, now, I, yeah, I just, there were, there were some bits and pieces that were a little confusing and, and I think this has to do with, you know, I think this has to do with the idea of the identity crisis piece is, as we get, and we're kind of hopping around all over the place right now. Um, as he gets a little bit later on in the movie, I mean, you spend the first part of the movie really building up who he is. He's a hostage negotiator. He is, you know, he seems to be respected by the other cops. He seems to be, even though he gets into that argument, you know, at the beginning when they're throwing around all the racial slurs, he seems to be like the cool head in the department. Um, you know, everybody else seems a little bit more, you know, rough and tumble and, you know, could could go off on somebody. He seems to be the one that's kind of the, the cool character. And then you get that in the scenes later on where uh, he and his partner pull up and you've got the, the kind of rookie cops that are uh, one of them stuck because there's a dog in the shop and, you know, he can't get down. He's up on a shelf and he can't get down because the dog's going to kill him. Um, you know, and Bobby G comes in and, you know, saves the Brings day. him a sandwich. Brings a sandwich. Yeah, brings in a sandwich and, and saves him. And um, that's why you should always carry a sandwich around with you. Doggy was just hungry, man. He's hungry. Aren't we all? Right. I mean, if I'm upset, if somebody handed me a sandwich, I'm going to be fine. I would be less upset. Maybe be fine. I mean, like, you could have completely ruined my day. You could have handed me, like, at work, you could have handed me some kind of a project and said, hey, I need this done, like, in the next 90 minutes. Can you get this done? And be like, are you kidding me? I got plenty of other stuff to do. Would you like this roast beef sandwich? Oh, yes. I, I, yes. I will. Let me get that. Let me get that project done for you right away while I have my roast beef sandwich. Um, basically I'm a rabid dog is what I'm saying. Um, and you junkyard dogs. <laughs> I, I will see you went there. I was going to quote uh, Pee Wee Herman, mad dog. Huh? <laughs> 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 um, yeah. So, I mean, you establish him early on in the movie. Can't believe I just quoted Pee Wee Herman while we're talking about a David Mamet movie. Um, stranger things, man. It's that's true. Um, you know, I think you spend the first 
I don't know if I want to say half, but you spend the first big chunk of this movie establishing him, you know, his character, you're getting to know him, you're following along with him. He's, he's the, the hostage negotiator. He's the hostage negotiator. And you have a pretty good sense of who he is. And then all of a sudden, boom, in the middle of the movie, he doesn't know who he is anymore. And so I think part of that confusion is to take you, the viewer, along for the ride with him. And so I, I think some of that confusion is meant to be it's, – it's purposeful. It's meant to be that we suddenly – don't know if we can trust him we don't know who he is because as i felt as we got further into the movie he started making some decisions and i was like wow that escalated quickly Mm -hmm. you killed a guy with a trident (laughs) (laughs) so but yeah no i i just i felt like i i felt that while i was watching this movie i think you you put it very well at the very beginning of this episode when you said this is a movie that you have to watch you cannot turn your brain off while you watch this movie, because otherwise you will be completely lost if you, you know, even if you get up for like two minutes to go into the kitchen and get something else to eat, and then you come back without pausing the movie. Oh, yeah, don't do that. No, you may be completely lost. Yeah, it's it's a thinking movie for sure. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so he's he's on this case. We know that there's this uh, there's this case of this drug dealer that they're trying to track down. Uh, they've got they've got a family member that's going to snitch on him and. Um, you know, and then they try to track down the mother and, and, uh, she was a, she was a particularly tough mother. Um, I mean, she was, yeah, she wasn't putting up with anybody's stuff. Heck no. So, um, and, uh, so, I mean, they're, they're going through the whole process of, of trying to get him tracked down. And then all of a sudden the movie veers off into this complete tangent, like we've done quite a bit. Um, it veers off into what seems like this tangent of him getting stuck investigating the death of this shopkeeper, this uh, Jewish woman who was a shopkeeper. And he doesn't want to because he's on this other case and it's super important and he's been dealing with this for a while. But then suddenly now he's stuck on this one. He's got to take the case. It's his case. And they kind of beat the poor guy up with it. I mean, it keeps getting like talked about and, and, you know, he's in the background for some of it, but he's stuck on this other case because he happened to show up and he happens to be of the same religion as the uh, as the victims. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I got to say, I as I love Joe Montaigne and I've seen him in plenty of other movies. I've seen him. In, you know, we've seen him in The Godfather um, mm-hmm. and seen him in plenty of other stuff and other TV shows. Um, but I just, sometimes when I hear his voice or I see him on the screen, I just hear fat Tony. (laughs) Like there were a couple of times where I wanted him to just break out the, I'm afraid I must insist. (laughs) Yeah. He's awesome. There's no doubt. Sadly, my Anna Maria was whacked by natural causes. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so, I mean, one of the questions, as you get further on into this movie, then that starts to unravel some of the conspiracy theory stuff. Um, how did you feel about that part of the movie? When it kind of got to, when it shifted from, uh, like, cop movie, pretty straightforward, trying to find the drug dealer, to, boom, World War II, Jewish, Nazi, conspiracy theory stuff. Yeah, I, was, I, I wasn't I was sure. I was watching the same movie for a minute. It was yeah. a, it felt a little disconnected. And then, you know, they brought it around, but it almost felt like two movies that had been thrown into one. Mm-hmm. 
because they didn't think they had enough story to do individual movies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it it took me a minute. I I just sort of pro I had to process, and they fed it to you slowly, and you know you you get there, you get there with him. I think that's the other thing about this movie. We are very used to as a viewing audience now of being the omniscient. Um, observer. Mm-hmm. And we know things the character doesn't. Yeah. In this movie, that's not really how they played it. You really. get <laughs> you get it as they get it. Yeah. And I think that makes it, it's just different. It's not what we're wired to do anymore very often. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. I think that's why it was harder to wrap my head around what was happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, same here. Um, that was, you know, I was, you felt like you're along for the ride with him in terms of, all right, I have no clue what's going to happen next. Like, if, if this was traditional cop movie, I'd have a sense of what's going to happen next, and I, I have no clue. Like, he, he could walk into the next room and find out that this was all a hoax, and, you know, he's been getting watched by some other group who wants him to go, you know, help them with their <laughs> with their heist or whatever it is, and... Um, yeah, it was, it was, I mean, that was definitely the part that was keeping you on your toes was trying to figure out, you know, what, where is this all coming from? And like, how are these pieces connected? And sometimes setting up things that are, seem to be connected. And then you find out later on, yeah, no, that's not connected at all. Mm -hmm. Like, Ooh, conspiracy theory. No, it's just a brand of bird seed. (laughs) Okay. I, I, I did not see that coming. So, um, did you believe his existential crisis? Hmm. Was it realistic? It was hard for me to lock into it. I, I could see where it's coming from, but I think part of it was I didn't feel... I didn't think they spent enough time getting him there. He just sort of the switch flipped and all of a sudden he's trying to decide whether he's going to be a good member of the Jewish faith and true to the kill all the Nazis agenda or be a police officer, which it seemed like he had done well for a long time. Yeah. Um, I think they were trying to set that up early with some of the racial slurs thrown his way, mm-hmm. but I just don't know if they earned it. And I think that was part of the problem. Yeah. 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 I, I think part of what made it difficult for me was the, you know, the kind of flip flopping, um, you know, and, and, you know, this is something that I uh, think we, we talked a little bit. I think I might have mentioned a little bit last week when we talked about my own private Idaho. Um, the movie kind of flip flops back and forth between genres a little bit. Yeah. You know, in, in my own private Idaho, it was you had moments of moments where it mimicked the Shakespeare plays. It's very loosely based off of um, moments where it's very artsy-fartsy avant-garde, you know, indie film stuff and mm-hmm. moments where it's like like almost documentary-style movie. Yeah. 
And this one, I, I mean, these the two movies we've done in the last couple of weeks, um, it's very similar because it's jumping back and forth between almost between genres, between uh, modes of filmmaking, modes of you know the 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 oxygen of the movie, the the environment of the movie, and this one too. I think that kept me a little bit too distracted to where I was having a hard time following his personal crisis. Yeah. It was it was a little too distracting for me. And I, you know, I didn't as as Pat is is liking to say sometimes is like, well, I'm just a I'm just a simpleton, so I need somebody to explain it to me. I mean, most times I I feel like, you know, I get a lot of that stuff, but I this time and I, I don't say that to say I didn't enjoy the movie because I did, but this time I just was like, yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know that that clicks for me. So the existential crisis piece of it, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I was I there for all of that. I don't think they earned it, and yeah. and I think they they could have earned it, mm-hmm. but it would have had to have been a longer movie, or they would have had to focus on it more in a different. They would have had to cut something to move some stuff around. Yeah, I think it needed to be a longer movie for them to earn that crisis. And here's the here's the other interesting part of it is. And this is why I definitely would want to maybe go back at some point uh, a little bit later and watch this movie again. Is I, I got this really strange sense, and I I don't want to make any judgments on it because I, I I do feel like I need to at least watch the second half of the movie again. Um, the the like the underground Jewish group who was trying to manipulate him into you know getting them what they wanted and all this other stuff. I mean, they seemed like they seemed like the villains. As you they got do, further. they seem like the villains. And what was even weirder is, as you get further in towards the end of the movie, Ving Rhames' character, the drug dealer, seemed like a kind of a nice guy. I mean, yeah, he shot him, but um, you know, other than that, other than shooting somebody, you know, they actually they were having a conversation. And I pictured him as like he's a drug dealer, he's a criminal, he's a terrible person, but at the same time, he's kind of charming, and. There wasn't anything charming about the underground group that was manipulating Bobby G earlier in the movie. So I had this weird feeling of, why do I side more with the drug dealer who's shooting people than I did with the... I'm like, there's something up with this this underground group, and I don't trust them, and I don't know that I... Yeah, I don't know that... I don't know that I care for what's going on here. I'm uneasy about that. Yeah. But I wasn't uneasy about the drug dealer. I was like, eh, he's kind of charming, you know. He's... He was what he was. Like yeah. he wasn't trying to hide. No, he's a drug dealer who didn't yeah. believe that his mother turned him in. Right. He wasn't trying to be two things. He he was not having an existential crisis. No, not at all. He knew what he was, and he was fine with it. And I, you know, and the the militia group i'm not not even sure what to call them yeah um i think um they were harder to understand Mm -hmm. yeah well and then you had and then his other group that was the other interesting thing about it too i mean if 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 we're watching and paying attention when he's at the police precinct there's like every possible uh, nationality or ethnicity is represented by his partners. 
by like all yeah. the other cops. There was an Asian cop, there was a black cop, there was a Latino cop, there was an Irish cop, there was a Jewish cop. There, so I mean, there's like everybody there. And I feel like that was supposed to mean something, and I missed it. Yeah, like that's one of those moments where I'm like, okay, yeah. And maybe it's a sign of the times that that's not something I notice. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I definitely feel like uh, I missed something there. Yeah. I pictured – so part of what I took from that was especially when that other – the FBI guy was in and like yelling the racial slurs at him uh, and they were yelling back. Kind of what I took from that was even though – like outside of being cops, they probably – if in the world of this movie, I don't think they would have gotten along with each other if they weren't all cops. So being these different nationalities thrown together, their identity was they're cops. And that's why Got they're together. It. But I don't know. I just, I don't know if I know why or how that helped solidify the in, investigation or maybe not the right word. The, uh, the exploration of the rest of the movie. I don't know what that was supposed to say about it was that, you know, he he was in a group that had a strong identity and it went across racial and ethnic lines. And then he as he was exploring his own individual identity, everything got blurry. And maybe that's what we're supposed to take away from it is that because at the end he comes back and he doesn't really seem to trust or belong with his. Yeah. And I. I don't know. I think that's the other part of not earning it. Like, I don't think I got that. Yeah. I don't think I saw that moment where that happened. I think what it's saying is we're all outsiders. Mm. So well, stay, there you go. So stay gold, pony boy. I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go get a beer and uh, some chocolate cake and sit down and watch some uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons. I'm in. That's a Saturday. Never hear me complain about that. That's a that's a Saturday morning for you. <laughs> um, do we have anything else we want to say about uh, homicide? I mean, it's we we kind of we've chalked it up to it's a David Mamet, so you know you kind of need to know a little bit of what you're getting into with David Mamet. He's you know he's very theatrical in a lot of his movies, um, and you know having having seen some of his other movies. I mean, this is kind of along the same lines, but it's there's still there's still some notable differences between this movie and some of his others. I think some of his others, I feel like, are do I want to say easier to watch? I think I might yeah, want to say easier I mean, to watch. I, you, yeah. you might not need your brain as hard, but a lot yeah. of his do like State and Maine, which comes off as kind of a easier movie. It's got some. Uh, it's got some dialogue in it and some lines in it that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss. Yeah. It definitely tends towards a thinking man's uh, description. Um, yeah. No, nah, that's the wrong word. <laughs> yeah, I think I said it best earlier. you got to bring your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, anything else we want to say about this one? Hmm. Not that I can think of. Yeah. I, it's definitely an interesting one. If you haven't seen Homicide, um, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, but it's, it's one of those, it's going to have you thinking. Um, 
and I think it's going to leave it's going to leave some things unanswered. So if you enjoy a movie that leaves unanswered questions that you have to consider after, you know, walking away from the TV or wherever you're watching it, um, then this would definitely be a movie for you. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's a, it's a nice, it's a nice blending of, I don't say it's nice blending. Um, it has different examples of different types of cinematic storytelling uh, all kind of built into the same movie. Um, but it does keep you on your toes, as we've said, a little bit. So, um, yeah, it's it's not one where you just put something on in the background and do other things, you know, iron your laundry while you are got this going on in the background. All Indeed. Right. Bo, are you ready for three questions? I am ready for three questions. I have three questions that I have especially designed just for you. Aw. That's not true. But, I mean, I, I wanted you to feel good about yourself. And... and I appreciate the effort. Okay. Well, thank you. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Favorite performance of a character going through an identity crisis? Oof, this, this was a tough one for me. Yeah. Because I thought it was going to be easy, and then I came up with a bunch. And I don't want to, like, steal any, because there are some fun ones. Mm -hmm. So the first one that popped into my head was The Truman Show. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. So I'm going to go with that one, see what you say, and then we can talk about some of the honorable mentions that I came up with. Yeah, so for this one, I was, I think for this one, I'm going to go with Fight Club. I thought you might. Yeah, I think we'll go Fight Club. Just cause that was I, one the, of the second ones I thought of. Yeah, I remember the first time I saw that, I just it was so different than anything else I had seen up to that point. So it just kind of was like, all right, this is kind of cool. And I, I've probably told the story before. It was, that was... So, kids, back in the day, there were these things called VHS tapes, um, and uh, John is standing over here off to the side and just looking shocked, because <laughs> acting like he doesn't know what that is, even though we have a stack of them right over here. Um, there were these things but, called VHS but, but tapes. what are and, they? <laughs> and we, we would rent them from places called video stores, and there was this- Blockbuster video. It was, it was from Blockbuster Video. And the first time I ever rented Fight Club- we enjoyed it so much that I think those of us that were sitting in the dorm room together having watched it, we kind of just, the, the tape got to the end, and we kind of looked at each other. We're like, you want to rewind it and watch it again? And I think as the, that might be one of the only movies where immediately after watching it for the first time, I said, let's do that again. And we did. We immediately rewound it, and we're like, all right, we're watching it one more time. And we watched it one more time. And then I think we took a break and maybe went to go have dinner and then later that night, I feel like we might have watched it a third time. 
Nice. But I was like, I don't know. There was something about it when we were watching it. It was just like, all right, that's cool. Like the all the twists in it, all the other stuff. Um, so I, for me, I think that would be if I'm if I'm talking about a movie where you're dealing with a character going through identity crisis, I think I would choose Fight Club. All right. Question number two. Uh, who's your favorite writer of snappy dialogue? Is it David Mamet? Is it Aaron Sorkin? Is it somebody else? I love the way Sorkin writes. Yeah. The the beat that he writes in is is it's a it's amazing. Yeah. I would have and I probably would have gone with Aaron Sorkin as well. You know, if you had asked me in high school or college, I probably would have said uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm. Um, but I think after having watched West Wing and did you ever watch in the newsroom? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I just between those two shows in particular, I'm like, I, I really like Aaron Sorkin. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny cause you see his style develop more, but it's even apparent in the American president. Yeah. Um, just that, that rhythm that he writes in mm-hmm. is it's just, it's like music. He's he's mastered the cadence of the walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then question number three. What is your favorite William H. Macy role? Oh. Now that's tough, too. <laughs> I'm not going to take it uh, easy on you. What'd you say? I'm not going to take it easy on you. I didn't think you would. No. I, I thought he was great on ER. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As uh, David Morgenstern. Yeah. That's been a long time since I watched ER. I used to watch that a lot. But, uh, I mean, he's, you know, on The Simpsons as himself right. is fantastic. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, there's just – talk about somebody who's had more roles than you realize. You know, you go all the way back to – um, you know, 1978, you know, mm-hmm. it's just crazy. Well, and he's, he's still working. Yeah. Well, and he's, he's so good in Fargo. Um, yes. And I mean, he, and he was good in this one too. I liked him in this movie. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, one of my favorite ones is just kind of a, it's kind of a funny little part for him too, but, um, I like him in Pleasantville. Yes. That's probably that might be one of my favorites. And sometimes, you know, actors like him, that's where they shine is those odd little roles that just sort of you know, they can throw all of their weight behind this one little scene that just Yeah. Well, cuz he's he's playing the like the typical 1950s sitcom dad, but mm-hmm. you've got some of those scenes where um you have some of those scenes where when things start to change, you know, you can tell that he's struggling with it and just does such a great job at it. All right. Well, I think we, I mean, they were, they were not, I don't want to say they were easy three questions, but we did fly through them kind of fast. But I th- maybe that's because we already, we know who we are, Bo. We do. There's no identity crisis here. We know exactly who we are. And I'm changing my name to Stefan. Yes. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the 30-something movie podcast. Um, see, what do we got coming up? Uh, well, uh, very quickly, first of all, we are uh, members of the Scene Stealers Podcast Network, as we said at the top of the show. Uh, head on over to scenestealersglobal.com if you want to see the rest of what they've got going on over there. Um, what have we got left? We have one episode left for this year. Next week is City Slickers. So hello. We, we, hello. Uh Killed anybody today? They ain't over yet. They ain't um, over. So, uh, so we got that one left uh, for the rest of the year, and then we are barreling on ahead into 1992 next year. And then in January, we've got our Crime and Punishment Month. Our Patreon episode that month is To Kill a Mockingbird from 1962. Uh, and then we've got Lethal Weapon 3, Hoffa, My Cousin Vinny, and Passenger 57. And then I don't know that I've announced these yet, but February is our month of women. Um, and then our Patreon that month is favorite movies with female leads. And then the lineup we've got, it's a great lineup of movies for February. The lineup we've got is A League of Their Own, Basic Instinct, Single White Female, Jennifer Eight, and Sister Act. So nice. Got some good movies. We're, we're hitting it pretty hard in uh, January and February. We've got some pretty uh pretty big 92 movies in there so looking forward to those um are there any in particular as you looked ahead to kind of like some of the 1992 stuff are there any in particular that you're looking forward to getting into oh gosh just in that first group you already mentioned there's passenger 57 there's um oh gosh i've already drawn a blank Got, it's going to be that uh, kind of day. Lethal Weapon 3, Hoffa. Lethal Weapon 3, I was yeah. actually just quoting a line from that the other day. Um, Chris Rock in that movie just cracks me up. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've seen 3. Uh, I'm calling the list up here because yeah. why not? Oh, well, you got My Cousin Vinny, the two Utes. Yeah, the two Utes. Um, I'm actually... Oddly excited for episode 400. Yeah. Um, That's going to be good. I'm going to go back and rewatch those again. Patriot Games. Noises Off. Distinguished Gentlemen. Reservoir Dogs. Can't go wrong with that. No. Yeah. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to see how Buffy the Vampire Slayer aged, considering the show that was created after it. I'm very yeah. intrigued. Yeah. Um, yeah. 92 is going to be good. I was I was looking up other uh, My Cousin Vinny quotes. That's hmm. <laughs> one of the others I like, I, I and I will I will paraphrase for, uh, for the children at home. Uh, everything that guy just said is BS. Thank you. <laughs> Objection. Counsel's entire opening statement is argumentative. Sustained. Counselor's entire opening statement, with the exception of thank you, will be stricken from the record. <laughs> oh, that's a, I, I can't wait to watch it. It's been a little while since I've seen that one, too. So I'm looking forward to pretty much all of them. All right. Well, Bo, thank you for being here with me this time. It's always fun. Always. Thank you, John. And then we'll see you back here for the last one of the year, City Slickers. So everybody, uh, if you are, uh, if you celebrate the holidays, we hope you have wonderful, wonderful holidays. Um, if you're not listening to this when it's uh, the week leading up to Christmas, then I, I don't know, have like a happy Tuesday or a, 
Thursday or Friday at 2 a.m., whatever you're doing. Doesn't really matter. Just have a good one. Uh, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah.